All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Welcome to the WikiLeaks press conference on the Central Intelligence Agency. On Tuesday, the 7th of March, WikiLeaks began its new series of leaks on the Central Intelligence Agency codenamed Vault 7. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and that was Julian Assange. And last week, his group WikiLeaks released a trove of secret CIA documents, which basically said that if it's connected to the Internet, American spies want in. Cars, TVs, phones, laptops. If you've seen a device hacked on Homeland or 24, it can most likely be hacked in real life, too. Today, we want to tell you a story that puts the latest WikiLeaks dump in perspective. What does all the government's secrecy around its surveillance tools mean for us regular people? As of this taping... There is no evidence that the CIA has used these tools to spy on Americans. That would be illegal. CIA hasn't even said whether these documents are authentic. But the FBI is now investigating who might have sent them to WikiLeaks, so that's being taken as some confirmation. Because here's the problem. If the CIA knew about these software vulnerabilities, that means that other people know about them too and they could hack the gadgets that most of us own. One example in the documents, that spies have the tools to remotely turn on an interactive Samsung TV and record conversations in the room. Yeah, totally creepy. Sure, maybe the CIA would use this information to get the bad guys and keep us safe. But they're supposed to tell the tech companies if they find these software holes, so the tech companies can patch them up and keep criminals out of our stuff. Today you're going to hear from the ACLU's Nate Wessler about a movement to give us a bigger say in how law enforcement does surveillance, because things are moving fast. We're now in a world where cities are starting to buy surveillance-enabled light bulbs. You know, that needs to be done with incredible transparency and care, or we're going to end up in a society where literally our every step is tracked by the government. First, though... Let's talk about the case of Daniel Rigmaiden and the Stingray. And it is just as epic as it sounds. This is me and former Note to Self producer Alex Goldmark. Alex is over at Planet Money now. Hi, Alex. But in June 2015, he and I did an episode about something called a Stingray. Now, this episode got a lot of attention. If you didn't hear it, don't worry. We're going to fill you in. And if you did hear it, you're going to get an update on what has happened since. Because really, the Stingray is the perfect example of the lengths that the government is going to to keep their hacking tactics hidden. Until, for better or worse, an Edward Snowden, 
a Julian Assange, or a Daniel Rigmaiden comes along. Let's start in 2007. Daniel Rigmaiden is in his 20s, living in Northern California, not far from where he grew up in a small suburban town. Super smart, but kind of aimless. So he fills his backpack with groceries and camping supplies, and he heads into the wilderness for weeks at a time. The Los Padres National Forest in in, uh, California, it was just kind of a way to get away from a system that I didn't agree with, I suppose. And I was just kind of taking a break from society at that point. He only comes out of the woods when he needs to buy more supplies. And his stream of income? Filing fraudulent tax returns using the identities of the deceased. Yeah, dead people. And I would come out occasionally, maybe once every three weeks to a month, to file more tax returns from hotel rooms using just a laptop computer that I had and an air card that that was registered with Verizon. And it would give me internet access through cell towers. Cell towers. You'll hear why that's an important detail in a minute. So I would come out just long enough to file the returns and go to the ATM machines to withdraw the money. And it's going so well, he decides to rent an apartment in Santa Clara, California, and hunker down for one last big score. He wants to save up enough to be able to leave the country and get a fresh start. Meanwhile, he doesn't know the FBI is on his case. They trace the fraudulent tax forms back to the ATMs, and they get their hands on some grainy security camera photos. And so one afternoon, in the summer of 2008 now, Daniel leaves his apartment building to go get some lunch, and it all goes down. And I turned around and I saw this guy kind of coming after me, so I started walking faster and he started speeding up. Daniel sees the man flag down a local police car. He's definitely FBI. Those two police officers started kind of circling around and spotted me kind of ducking behind this bush. By the time he's nabbed, there are multiple police cars, sirens blaring, and a slew of FBI agents on the scene. Daniel's lying there, cheek on the pavement, and his brain starts trying to pinpoint just how the police were able to find him when he had such a foolproof system. The instant I was getting arrested, when I was laying on the sidewalk getting handcuffs put on me, I instantly knew that they had tracked the air card down. I mean, I just, it was the only weak link in the whole operation. His cellular internet air card, the thing he used to connect to the internet to submit those tax returns. The cellular Wi-Fi card must be the weak link. And as far as he's figured, there is no way to trace one of those Wi-Fi cards to any specific person or location. So how the heck did the FBI use or tap his Wi-Fi card to figure out exactly where he was on that summer day? At this point, Daniel has some time to try and piece the mystery together. Yeah, because he's in prison. He spends all his time in the prison library focused on this, and he starts to come up with a theory, one that he thinks raises huge constitutional questions, too. Yeah, but his theory makes him sound like the craziest conspiracy nut job ever. I was trying to explain these different theories to my first attorney on how the air card was located. Daniel tells his lawyer, hey, look, I think they tracked me down by sending rays into my living room that could figure out who and where I was based on the cell signal from the air card. And remember, this is late 2000s, pre-Ed Snowden. His lawyer is like, um, right, sure. Keeping in mind that Daniel's theory has never been mentioned in any court or anywhere else, it sounds like complete crazy talk to the lawyers. So I was thinking the only way out of this would be if I represented myself, which would allow me to do the research on my own. I had unlimited time to do that kind of stuff. 
He asks for all the documents that he can think of asking for, anything. And then all the same knack for detail and focus and discipline that made him a good tax fraudster, it made him one hell of a good jailhouse lawyer. Eventually, he gets shipped over time 14,000 pieces of paper, and he gets down to reading every single one. Yeah, there was enough documents where whenever they moved it around, they were loading them up onto a pallet and getting a hand truck and, and pulling them around the jail. He's wading through thousands of pages of government records trying to find mention of a device that he thinks must exist. Then, an FBI file mentions something about investigative techniques regarding a cell tower. A status memo from a postal inspector? It mentions something called a stingray. A few names of companies. There's a few hints here and there. So Daniel would see, like, an unusual serial number in a court document. Then Daniel would ask for more documents about what he finds. It goes on and on. Eventually, all those painstaking searches and all those boxes of documents lead to a data sheet about a device that matches the mystery one he'd been hunting for. Bingo. It's something called the Stingray, made by a company in Florida that makes high-tech tools for the police and the military. He used that to find more documents about it. And it looks like lots of police departments around the country have this device or something like it, and they've been using it hundreds, maybe thousands of times. Daniel realizes he probably isn't the only one who got caught with a secret cell tracking device. But nobody has ever mentioned it in court before. No other criminal has ever figured it out. Until maybe now. And he decides to get in touch with Christopher Segoyan. I am the principal technologist with the ACLU's Speech, Privacy, and Technology Project. This is a guy who pays very close attention to all the different tools that law enforcement are using. And he gets lots of letters about police surveillance, which mostly sound kind of delusional. Handwritten letters, sometimes from jail. Some of these letters include references to mind control or aliens or Fidel Castro controlling their brain via radio waves. And... In 2011, I got one of these, and it was something to the effect of, the government has tracked me using a secret surveillance device that sent signals through the wall of my house. And they don't want to talk about this device, they don't want to talk about the technology, but I think you'll be interested to learn what I found. And this was like so many letters that I've received, right? So many people believe they have been secretly tracked with secret technology. But the difference between so many of those other letters in this one, is that he was right. How did he know he was right? Well, along with the letter, Daniel also sent an extremely thoroughly researched report. It must have been 200 pages, and it was meticulously written, which is even more surprising when I learned that it had been written in a jail library without an internet connection. And what he'd done is he'd collected every single publicly available source he could on stingrays and built this this argument to support the idea that the government had used this technology to find him. It was fascinating because it, it was the most well-researched memo I'd ever seen on this technology, written by a guy, you know, rotting in jail. The argument that Daniel laid out in his report completely convinced Christopher Segoyan. He was 100% spot on. The government really did send signals through the wall of his living room and, in fact, the living rooms of everyone else in his neighborhood. Uh, And they really were trying to, to keep this thing a secret. This thing is a cell site simulator, basically a fake cell phone tower. It can talk to any phone nearby and trick the phone into thinking it's just talking to a regular, real cell phone tower. And then from there, it can do a bunch of other things to the phone, the most important of which is locate it. 
They're often called by the brand name, which is Stingray, or the very technical term, MC Catcher, I-M-S-I. And either way, to use it, police start off with the unique ID of the device they're after. So the police go to Verizon and they say, where is this target? We're looking for this guy. Where is he? And Verizon says, you know, we're, we're not able to, to tell you exactly where he is, but we think he's, you know, within a mile or two of this place. This is where the Stingray comes in, and the basic principle is like the game Marco Polo. So the Stingray says Marco, and all the phones in the neighborhood respond back by saying Polo. Ping from the Stingray. Response from the phone. Ping from the Stingray. Response from the phone. Hey, are you there? Yeah, I'm over here. The police will show up there with their special surveillance van, which probably won't say surveillance van on the outside, and they will start to drive around that neighborhood with the Stingray turned on and with this antenna mounted on the roof. And it'll start to send out these signals. And they'll drive it around until eventually the phone responds to, to their, their Marco signals. Then it's just a matter of moving in. Listen for the pings, drive even closer. Listen again, move in closer until you end up right on a doorstep. It's extremely useful. It's like a genie in a bottle. You rub the device and ask it where someone is and they tell you where they are. It's, it's extremely powerful. But here's the thing. It also scoops up data on all the other innocent cell phones in the area. Everyone else saying, polo, polo, ping, ping, ping. Law enforcement and the companies that make the technology certainly didn't want the public to know that they were using it. Look, in a perfect United States, when we have privacy trade-offs like this, we're supposed to talk about it as a society. We're supposed to write up laws and rules and regulations. In this case, though, that would defeat the very purpose. And this is sort of this fundamental question, this fundamental issue that comes up in many, many areas of surveillance, which is the agencies that use these technologies believe that the more people who know about them, the easier it will be for targets to evade surveillance. Hey, it's Manoush back in the studio here. If criminals knew about the Stingray, they'd just take the batteries out of their phone or their laptop, right? And now, here in 2017, if Samsung finds out that the government can hack their TV sets, as it says in the WikiLeaks documents, won't the company just patch up their software? After the break, what happened to Daniel Rigmaiden and Stingrays, and whether the WikiLeaks dump puts our safety in jeopardy or not? Stick with us. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. So many connected devices, so many ways that the government can hack them. But is that a bad thing if the information they collect helps keep us safe? For a Stingray update and some perspective, we invited this guy into the studio. Nate Fried Wessler. I'm a staff attorney with the ACLU Speech Privacy and Technology Project uh, based in New York. I focus mostly on government surveillance. 
The last time we did an episode here on the show about stingrays was June 2015, and it almost feels like a lifetime ago. So much has happened since then. At the time, the public had no idea what they were. Can you talk through what we've learned sort of over the past year and a half? So these devices, this category of technology, many law enforcement agencies have said that all they're using it for is location tracking and identifying phones. But we know that some versions of the technology can collect metadata about calls that someone's making or text messages they're sending or receiving, or even the most sophisticated versions can actually wiretap. We haven't seen evidence that law enforcement within the U.S. is doing that, but the worry remains that they could in the future. I wonder if you could describe how local police are using technology like stingrays. Yeah, as we've started to dig into the proliferation of these devices, we've found many examples of local police affirmatively misleading judges. We've seen local police intentionally using very vague terms in their investigative reports. So if they have to turn those over to a defense attorney before trial, there's nothing that tips the defense attorney off that a stingray was used. We've seen local city council members complaining years after the fact that they had no idea that they had authorized a purchase of Stingray equipment. We've now uncovered more than 70 state and local law enforcement agencies across the country that have purchased and used this equipment. And that's not even counting the more than 400 devices that the Federal Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security have bought over the last several years. And what's the problem with that as you see it? I mean, maybe cities would say, well, we've kept you safe. We haven't seen, knock on wood, a terrorist, a big one in this country. Where's the issue? Well, many cities have justified their purchases on homeland security, counterterrorism grounds. But it's not that surprising to me that in the places where we've actually gotten records explaining the kinds of investigations that these devices have been used in, at the local level, there's not a one homeland security investigation. It's in places like Tallahassee and Baltimore and Milwaukee, Tacoma, Washington. It's everything from stolen cell phones that they're trying to track down, a few missing persons, some homicides at the more serious end, assaults, batteries, robberies, the whole range of stuff. So really domestic issues, typical urban life issues. That's right. It's the stuff that we expect our police to be doing, but we need them to be transparent about how they're pursuing criminal investigations. And if they're using super secret and highly invasive surveillance equipment, the public has a right to know that there are policies and court procedures in place to prevent abuse. I mean, more people know about stingrays now. Is there still secrecy around a stingray? The government at at all levels is still aggressively pushing for secrecy, even though the rationale for that secrecy has completely dissolved at this point. They say it's to protect Homeland Security, and if the bad guys know what they're using and how much of it, then the bad guys will get away. I think that's really facetious. I think what's really going on here is secrecy in the service of impunity. It's a whole lot easier to use very invasive surveillance equipment on our local streets if the public doesn't really understand what's going on and judges haven't been fully informed and defense attorneys can't challenge it. The more information the public has the more careful police have to be to abide by the Constitution. And that's how our system should work. Can you just lay out what the current law is regarding using a stingray? Do you need a warrant? There's federal legislation that would require a warrant for location tracking. It would cover stingrays, but also cover other kinds of cell phone location tracking. There's an urgent need for Congress to act, and hopefully that will move in this Congress. At the state level, there's also been uh, legislation specifically addressing stingrays in Virginia, Illinois, Washington State, and elsewhere requiring warrants, requiring candor to judges, public transparency, 
and other oversight measures to avoid abuse. And there are other cases that are starting to percolate up elsewhere in the country. Uh, but it know, sounds like it's not clear. Like, Well, it's it's not clear in the sense that few courts have ruled. Now, that is a direct result of the incredible secrecy that the government has intentionally shed over this. Right? So you're it's, saying they can't rule on it because they don't know about that's it. That's right. And it, it's such a destructive cycle. But as a matter of, of the Fourth Amendment, we think it's absolutely clear that a warrant is required, partly because these devices sweep in information about lots of bystanders, starting to look like the kind of general warrant that the framers of the Fourth Amendment were so concerned about, partly because of the location tracking, and people's location over time can reveal incredibly sensitive things about the doctor's office they visit, whether they stop off at a liquor store or an AA meeting on the way home from work, if they're at a Planned Parenthood clinic or an NRA rally, etc. And because these devices not only send signals out into public spaces, but also send signals to the walls of homes and offices and other spaces that our Constitution has always been interpreted to strictly protect. And when you want to locate someone inside their home, the Supreme Court has explained you need a warrant. Man's home is his castle. That's right, as they say. Hey, it's Manoush here in the studio. You can actually hear more about the right to privacy and why we say a man's home is his castle in our episode about the Fourth Amendment. Just go back in your feed to January. It is one of my favorite episodes of all time. Okay, now let's go back to Nate Wessler and his take on the CIA and their alleged ability to hack all our devices. The con- one concern about these documents that just apparently were leaked from the CIA through WikiLeaks is that They reveal that the CIA has been sitting on this laundry list of critical vulnerabilities in computer programs and smart devices and other digital... Which all of us have in our homes at this very moment. That's right. You know, smart TVs, cell phones, laptops, and, you know, as we start to get more Internet of Things devices, you know, connected refrigerators and light bulbs, there's a real threat of surveillance. You know, if we're vulnerable to the CIA, we're also vulnerable to lots of other entities that we really don't want spying on us. Like who? Like, you know, foreign intelligence agencies that want to get information about U.S. elected officials and business leaders, criminal hackers who are trying to, you know, install ransomware or to spy on people. There's been press coverage in the last couple years about Wi-Fi connected baby monitors, right? And this whole subculture on the internet of people who just like peeping on sleeping babies in their beds, which is incredibly invasive. You know, every parent's worst nightmare. That's the most sort of private part of your personal life. So uh, we want our internet and our devices to be safe and secure. And so our government should be making very careful decisions about what it keeps secret for its own offensive use and what it reveals carefully to manufacturers so they can plug the holes. I mean, do you feel like the Stingray is like the perfect example? If it's not going to be the Stingray, it's going to be something else that they've discovered they can use. And as long as they don't tell anybody about it, they'll just keep using it until their hand is forced. Either there's a WikiLeaks thing or other reporters get in or or a Snowden shows up. Is that the world we're living in here? Yeah, it's a recurring problem and it's a really difficult one because it means that It takes years and sometimes decades before the public learns of the newest, best, most invasive surveillance technique or technology, at which point lawmakers and judges and members of the public start scrambling to make policy and rules protecting us. So what's the answer here? How do we possibly have oversight that takes into account new technology that is being developed and used by the day, literally? So there's a really exciting movement starting to bubble up in cities around the country to introduce city legislation that would require public oversight of purchase of surveillance gear. Whatever the new 
device or technique is that otherwise would be secret, we're going to know basic facts about it at least. And so we can make informed decisions as a free society about what we want the government to be able to do. So like easy passes, they would have to tell you that they can collect easy pass geolocation. That's right. That's right. You know, something that many drivers now have in their car driving around. We expect that when we go through a toll booth, it'll record that we were there so we can pay. But do we expect that driving around New York City, there are actually dozens of easy pass readers at intersections put in place by the government, we think as part of a traffic flow analysis program, but it could easily be used by law enforcement. And in fact, in some criminal cases has been used by law enforcement to track where somebody was going over time. That's exactly the kind of information that we should know in advance so we can decide if that's what we want the government to have the power to do. Nate, do you just walk around with your phone on airplane mode? <laughs> well, you know, that's that's the conundrum in our society, right? Uh, we shouldn't have to make this choice between making our cell phones into a paperweight to protect our privacy <laughs> and using them for all the ways that we really have to today, but sacrificing privacy to the government. Uh, that's why our courts need to know what's going on. That's why lawmakers have a really important role here. Well, good luck. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Nate, thank you so much. A pleasure to talk to you. So right now, the law around stingrays is unclear and inconsistent. But there's a debate happening at both the state and federal level about oversight and rules around using stingrays. So that's a good thing. As for WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, they say that they'll tell the companies where the holes are in their software, the ones that the CIA has been taking advantage of. They say that they want engineers to fix them to keep out all hackers, whether they are criminals or government officials. And finally, Daniel Rigmaiden, the hero, sort of, of our story. He has transformed from misanthropic geek to civil rights defender. Last we heard, he'd been consulting for the Washington State branch of the ACLU. He's also been traveling, giving talks on digital privacy, suing the FBI for more documents, and doing his part, along with Ed Snowden and Julian Assange, to make sure the public knows law enforcement doesn't have secret superpowers, just secret tools to hack technology. And I think you'll agree, it's a fascinating story, whether you think that the public should know or not. Are you subscribed to our newsletter, by the way? Come and join the tens of thousands of listeners who are. We have links and great stories and behind the scenes, and we are known for our excellent curation of wonderful GIFs. Our newsletter comes out every Wednesday, and you can sign up at notetoselfradio.org. See you in your inbox. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunane, and Joe Plourd. Many, many thanks to Alex Goldmark, Ariana Tobin, and Andrew Dunn for their great work on this episode, too. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Thanks for listening.